Welcome to another edition of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm John Abbott, joined alongside the president of Everything Financial, Mr. Peter Sashecki. Uh, as per usual, we thank you for listening in to Episode 9 and uh, invite you to subscribe on our YouTube channel as well, but on your favorite, uh, on your favorite podcast platforms, uh, give us a review and submit questions for Peter and myself as well. And I know we're excited to, to get to this one today because it is the, the, the five expenses most retirees don't expect. And uh, my goodness, Peter, as if the, wor- the world isn't uh, challenging enough right now, and uh, you think of those that are heading into retirement or maybe recently retired and it seems to be so volatile and uh, potentially so challenging as well. So you want to have everything, all your ducks in a row, for lack of a better phrase, and and you're going to help us uh, prepare for that, but also uh, maybe put out some of those fires that um, might creep in if you're not prepared. Absolutely. We're going to try and make it simple for people. They they get stressed about retirement. Did I cover this? Did I cover that? We're going to give them the basic things, take all the garbage off the table that they get fed by a bunch of salespeople, because that's what I like to do, and just simplify it for them. It does not need to be scary, does not need to be a huge daunting task. We're going to simplify it and make it so that they understand what they're doing and hopefully give them a little peace of mind. Well, we can do it in in, um, alerting you to probably the top five things that uh, people don't respect, don't expect when you retire. And so I like that because it's neat. It's uh, right into the handful of things here. And boy, there's a lot on this list that you wouldn't necessarily think think about right away. So let's get uh, started. And one of those would be home maintenance. Um, obviously, depends on the the living quarters that you decide to retire in. But uh, typically, even if that's a condo, an apartment, uh, you're not going to be without some kind of fixing. And, and even if it's uh, strata costs uh, for that for that reason, um, and then a home Absolutely. is something completely different. So um, home maintenance. You might think you have enough, and then, boy, it's an easy, easy pitfall, isn't it, Peter? It is. People have got to calculate that when they retire, they're going to get over time, not every year, but over time, they're going to get about a $20,000 bill. Uh, and that's a bunch of things adding up, but you've got to think about it. You might have um, a roof go, uh, the water heater goes, the things like that. You mentioned very good, John, about, about condos and stratas. Well, right now... In this day and age, there's a big thing going on because, you know that, remember the 90s, the leaky condo situation, everyone's heard about it. Everyone's known somebody who was faced with that issue. Well, it's reared its ugly head again, but it's not getting the press it got before. But it's still happening where insurance companies are just jacking the insurance rates up on condo owners. I know people who are going to retire downsize to a condo from a, you know, a house that's worth gosh knows how much in Vancouver these days, as we know. And they're going, I don't think I'm going to downsize to the condo because the condo's cheaper, but the insurance isn't. So you plan on, um, it could be $5,000 to $20,000, but you have to calculate for that miscellaneous, miscellaneous emergency type funding when you're figuring out what do you need to put aside for retirement. We all think about travel and the fun stuff. But you got to think about the practical stuff, just surviving day to day. So that would be the first lesson for retirement is put $20,000 aside uh, for emergency money for home repairs. If time goes on and your retirement's going you're deeper and deeper into retirement and you find you're not using that money, worst case scenario, you might have some extra money for an extra trip down south for the winter or something. But 
plan on home repairs and emergencies for sure. That would be number one. And and Peter, in, included in that, I think as well is, uh, you know, it's like going to the dentist per se. People don't like to see their money dive deeper into their home for something they're they're either not prepared for or something they really hope to put off, uh, don't want to address at the moment because they want to do those fun things. And yet um, it's necessary because it is repair, but also that's going to, to keep the value of your, your property, which you may later on in your retirement want to move on from, right? It's, it's true. You'll eventually want to sell that property. So you want to get the maximum dollar you can. So you're right. Keeping regular maintenance, keeping it in shape, it's good because a lot of people, and we see this all the time right now, you got to think about it. It's people who bought their home in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And all of a sudden, here's the one thing we hear that people don't realize. Well, there's two. There's the roof, which we mentioned. Here's the other one. Hard to believe. Drain tiles around the house. The old clay, I'm a contractor now. The old clay tiles start to back up. People start getting leaks in their house. Well, there's a ten dollars to $15,000 repair. And that's if you're doing it like the basic way. But so things that you don't need to do, keep the value of your house high. One thing people say is, um, if you have a paid for house, people say, well, why would you sell your house at retirement? You're living free. And I've had kids say that to their parents. Why would you go rent? while well, they're taking all that equity and they want to use it for retirement. But this is a perfect example why owning a home at retirement is not free. You have repairs, you have maintenance, you have utilities, you have taxes, property taxes, et cetera. And suddenly people go, I've had people say, geez, for living for free, we're spending $15,000, $20,000 a year. And they're spending five to $7,500 a year on maintenance on an older house. So it's like an older car. You got to put money into it to keep it up to date. It's no different. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly these are crucial reminders to continue to have whatever lump sum you think you needed, just expand it a little bit. And, and the home thing uh, is such a great example of that because um, even though you think you might have everything above uh, bar, it, uh, it doesn't take long to be into some sunken costs for sure. So I like that we started with that one because that's a big one and everyone can relate to that. Uh, no matter where they find themselves in retirement. And often people have uh, maybe even an additional property that they're not in as much that they have to keep track of. So that certainly applies to that uh, circumstance as well. Peter, let's uh, get to a second um, of our elements when you think of five things that you're trying to prepare retirees for and to, to have an extra uh, dollar amount attached to that retirement, and that is, uh, you know, one that you don't want to think of, but you do need to, and that's uh, family uh, or personal emergencies. And uh, this is this is a bit of a tricky one for me in the sense that how do you plan a certain dollar amount, dollar figure around that? It's hard to plan a dollar figure around family emergencies. Those family emergencies could be your children especially during COVID, that's what we're seeing the most. So one way to do this, and twofold, this will help you another way too, is having a secured line of credit against your property. So the difference between a secured line of credit and an unsecured line of credit is a secured line of credit is written up as a mortgage. So it's actually leveraged against your property. You may not be using the line of credit. You may not need it for anything. You're fortunate. You don't have debt. You don't need the debt. But why I say this is twofold? One, it gives access, especially right now, to very cheap money um, to be borrowed at a very low cost because the secured line of credit will be down in the 25 to 2.9% area. 
versus unsecured, which can be five, six, or seven. So you have money you could lend your kids or for your own personal emergencies. Maybe there's a health crisis. Maybe you have to put a deposit on a home for down the road, a retirement home before you sell your home. You know, some assisted living place down the road. There could be things like that. But here's the other thing which people don't realize, and I know we've touched on this in another episode. It protects you against title fraud. Someone stealing your house out from underneath you. If you have a, um, a line of credit mortgage, for lack of a better term, registered against your property, these people who do this identity theft, which title theft is one of the biggest ones, can't apply debt against your property without you knowing it because you already have something registered against your property. Whether you're borrowing from it or not, a $300,000 line of credit against your property shows up on a credit report as if there's a $300,000 debt, even if you haven't borrowed it because you're approved for it. So you can take care of that family emergency two ways, but that's the easiest way is having access to money. You don't have to budget for it in a sense of money you may never use for it, but having access. And as I said, during COVID right now, the amount of young people out of work or struggling or even a, a middle-aged, pardon the term, but a middle-aged family member with their kids where maybe the breadwinner was furloughed for a while and just doesn't have work. Well, you don't have a problem there. I think you would rather help your kids out than see them lose a house or something like that. So line of credit's the good one. You're sitting on a ton of equity potentially. So make sure you have access to that equity because it can help you and your family out. Important advice and, and keeping it fluid so that, uh, as you say, it's hard to predict what costs would be associated with certain things, but uh, then you don't have to worry. You know that it's established. You know you can uh, go there for help, and, uh, and then you can uh, obviously keep it consistent after the fact. So uh, I like that advice. And you mentioned something in there. You mentioned uh, the fraud aspect, and that's something I wouldn't have considered. Uh, you know, that's the next point we want to hit on is scams and frauds and uh, I got to be honest, Peter, I just I would not have had that anywhere in my logic, uh, thinking of, hey, this is a serious thing uh, when you start to um, move into retirement. Yeah, it's people don't realize this is, uh, they think it's a, a, a US thing or something we hear about in the media that doesn't happen. It happens. And the actual thing is, um, title fraud generally happens from a family member who knows could be a grandchild, it could be a brother, sister, who, a cousin, someone who knows enough information about you to be able to apply for this loan situation. So again, having something registered against your property protects you. And a lot of people, just to expand on this a little bit, a lot of people who are retired defer their property taxes. They don't pay property taxes. The debt still goes against your house, but they don't pay them. But what they think is, if I have this line of credit against my house, I can't defer my property taxes. As long as you get the line of credit approved for before you start the deferment of property taxes, you can do that. So one, you protect yourself by allowing yourself to have more income because you're not paying property taxes because your house is going to go up on the whole over a five-year period, way more than the penalty of not paying property taxes of the 1%. So that gives you more cash flow for retirement. Two, then you have the, then you put the line of credit or you do the line of credit first, you have access to the money. Imagine a line of credit on your house. Yes, it protects you from title fraud and scams. That's huge. But also imagine it's like I'm selling off part of the house because I want to downsize before I sell the house. 
basically it's like you're borrowing from a couple of your rooms to maybe invest the money to protect you. And nowhere was this more evident right now during COVID when the market did a 36% crash, it recovered very quickly. People say, oh, what a horrible time to retire. We're talking about retirement today. Actually, to the contrary, great time to retire. Because imagine having all this cash that maybe you could invest at the bottom of the market. Huge, huge gain there. So the protecting yourself against title fraud and scams protects you in a couple of ways and can really enhance your retirement at the same time. So turn a negative sounding fearful item that you're thinking, oh my gosh, if I got, if I was subject to this, turn it into a positive thing and put it to good use and talk to your registered financial planner. A lot of them, and I know we do obviously with our everything mortgages, have a mortgage person there to help you set these things up, but go to your local person who's a registered financial planner, talk about these things, find a mortgage person who can do this, but stick with the line of credit um, for sure with this. Don't, you talk about scams, right, John? We talk about scams all the time. Don't fall for the, it's not a scam, but fall for the mortgage broker who just wants a huge commission and wants to lock you into a, a locked-in mortgage because then you're actually using the money. This is getting access to the money and not paying a fee. So you're not incurring an expense unless you need it. So make sure it's a line of credit. Uh, that's simple interest. So don't be afraid that it's 2.95 because the simple interest is calculated differently than compound interest. It's a lot cheaper than you think and cheap money for peace of mind and security is never a bad thing. Uh, that's certainly the case, and uh, you're, you're bringing up so many uh, great points, and your segues are perfect. So uh, I, I know this is a podcast, but uh, you are a trained media professional, oh, professional, Mr. Uh, Peter Sushecki now. It is uh, the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm John Abbott. He is the president of Everything Financial, Peter Sushecki, Everything Mortgages, as you heard as well. You can find him at everythingfinancial.com. We are uh, going through five uh, elements uh, for people retired, heading into retirement, or uh, certainly maybe have been so for quite a while that uh, you need to plan for uh, budget-wise financially that you may not expect. And uh, you mentioned it a little bit there with investments and uh, the market right now, you talked about it being a good time um, potentially to retire. And yet when you think of allocating your money you want to do you want to continue to see it grow because certainly uh, that would mean you don't have a steady income uh, in most cases uh, coming in so how how do you uh, adjust for fluctuations like the time we're in now what are some steps that people should take uh, to avoid uh, you know finding themselves at, at the bottom of uh, this type of uh, a situation with the markets really going through a valley and and then being able to to ride it out consistently because I think that's the biggest thing right is that uh, most people most retirees would want something they can bank on uh, so how do you get how do you uh, achieve success that way well, post work well John this comes out with the design of the plan for starters from your financial planner just remember a few key points past returns are never on sale you, you can't buy them they're not for sale you can't look at someone telling you, oh, this made eight, this made nine, this made 10, blah, 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 last year. This is what you're going to get. No, there's a rule of thumb. You never use a rate above really 5%. Plan on long term, your retirement return on an annual basis averaged out being 5%. The lower rate of return you can use in retirement, 
the more protected you are against volatility. You don't need volatility in retirement. You need boring in retirement for your rate of return. Seriously, you do not need to be waking up to 36% fluctuation in the market like we had February 20th of 2020 down to March 23rd, and then we had some massive recovery. It was not even close to the worst of all time, though, when you listen to media. Thank you, but I am not a trained media professional. But um, you, 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 you can't let CNN run your retirement or MSNBC or Fox or any of those for starters. You have to plan that you're going to see four or five, three for sure, major fluctuations, corrections, recessions, whatever catchphrase they want to use of the day. But if you're about 65, you're going to see probably three of those between the time you're 65, potentially the time you're 85. That's just the way it is. But if you budget for 5% and you go, if I only earn 5%, then I'm pretty safe. Then you should be able to build or have the portfolio manager like Janice Souden, who we had on a few episodes ago, have them build with your financial planner a proper portfolio that doesn't have a lot of volatility. When you're looking at past returns on a portfolio, which I tell people not to do, don't look at them for the return number. It doesn't matter if it's four, six, nine, whatever that number is, irrelevant. Look at that from year to year, that number is pretty level. Oh, it made 5.1 last year and it made 5.6 the year before and 4.9 the year before that. If those numbers are within a percent, percent and a quarter, percent and a half, all the way back, that's low volatility. And you know what? You don't lose a lot of sleep with low volatility. It makes the number easy because you have to plan. But there may be a year in there, like coming out of this COVID-19, there's some pretty healthy looking returns right now if you invested at the right time or you have a really good active portfolio manager who's who's on it, who's making the right choices, as opposed to just letting a computer like a mutual fund or an algorithm run your portfolio. They're getting you good returns, but those good returns are putting money in for reserve for when things are going to be a little tougher because you know what's going to happen. You hear this in the news about every time there's a vaccine call, the market goes up, new vaccine, investor sentiment, market's going up. Well, eventually everyone is saving money right now during COVID. The people who are working and are fortunate to have good jobs where they're, you know, steady income, but they're not spending any money. No one's taking holidays, really. Or not very many of them. Eventually, when this we're through this health crisis, people are going to spend money and the markets are going to do this. But then people aren't going to have that money to spend anymore. And the markets are going to recess back a little bit. Those are things you have to plan for. It's not always roses and butterflies. 5%, take whatever money you have and know, if I earn 5% on that money, that's the income it's going to generate. Plan on worst case scenario. You always plan for the worst. Plan that I'm never going to touch my principal. I'm only going to live off 5% interest. That helps you build a portfolio. If you've got a financial planner, advisor out there who's singing you a different song and spitting you a different tune, look for someone else who keeps, who keeps it real. 5% return. Try and budget for interest only. And then you have money for reserve. If you're planning on interest only, then you have protection against the downside of the market. Oh, the market's gone down. We had a crisis in the economy or whatever the case may be. Now I might have to dip into a bit of my principal, but that's okay because I haven't touched it for three or four years. 
Five expenses you uh, may not expect heading into retirement or for current retirees, and we're telling you uh, how to prepare for them uh, smartly, wisely, but also uh, trying to provide some uh, quality advice. And I just wanted to go back to one of those things, Peter, uh, just to ensure people are, are hearing what you're saying as well, is that it's not that you're suggesting uh, investments are futile. In, instead, the opposite, that you should still invest, but there is a smart way Absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. I mean... Investments is great. That's the hallmark of your retirement. You can't plan on selling your house and having enough money when you downsize to retirement. That might be a bit of a good kicker. But what a lot of people end up doing when they sell their house is they just move to a house for the same price except the newer, shinier one. Um, the investments, pensions, government, government CPP, old age security, all together form the income for your retirement. You have to have the investments there. You just have to do it wisely where... You're, you're spreading it out and you're, and you're not taking on more risk, especially when you get within those last few years close to retirement. You can't afford a roller coaster ride on your investments when you're about to retire. Boring, steady return wins the race and gets you to your goal. There is nothing wrong with that. Yes, we all want to earn 10, 12, 14% as people talk about and try and sell you on. That's great. The higher the rate of return or potential rate of return, the more likelihood of a major downfall as well. So you have to be willing to live with the pros and cons if you want to chase those big numbers. And we're coming up to, to point number five. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting one. They've all had uh, their sense of intrigue, uh, but maybe this is one people look past frequently, Peter, and that is taxes. It is a completely different world, obviously, uh, post-employment um, when you're, you're potentially able to uh, deduct more things. And so uh, what are some things people need to know in retirement about taxes and uh, saving to, or having money to, to deal with that? Yeah, so well, first off, one thing people have to realize, and I hear this all the time, I even hear this from my dad, it's like, wow, I'm paying all this tax in retirement. It's like, ah, no, you paid 40% before you retired in taxes. Now you're paying less, you know, 20. But the problem is with retirement, you're not having someone take money off always per paycheck like you had when you were working. So people don't realize you have to plan for it and take some money aside when you get these income payments to put money away for taxes and you might have to pay installments. So it's not that you end up paying more tax and I've never seen that actually in 30 years with smart planning. People pay way less taxes. They just don't think they pay way less taxes because they're having to cut the government a check. And no one likes to cut the government a check under any circumstances. So make that a key part of your plan. And we talked earlier about the home equity and title fraud protection and so on. Imagine because borrowing money is so cheap right now, rate of returns are, again, if you even only earn 5%, that's not a bad thing. But if you actually invested some money from your house because you were thinking, and it's not for everyone. It's, it's got to be the right situation, obviously. So there's a lot more than just saying do that. But if you invested some money because you know, hey, I'm selling my house next year, but I'll invest some money now before I sell the house anyways to get a head start. The interest on that from that line of credit would be tax deductible against your income. So there is ways to still write off income from retirement. Imagine though you just have a bunch of non-registered savings, not RSP or RIF, not TFSA. You just have investment money. Well, if that investment money is invested with under the investment council planning model, aka a portfolio manager, like we've talked about in a previous episode, the management fees charged 
for them to look after that money are tax deductible. So wait a minute, you could take your investments and get them to work for you and give you an extra write-off in retirement. Can't do that with mutual funds. Can't do that putting your money in an ETF at the bank and stuff. Get a professional portfolio manager to manage your money, low fees and tax deductibility, you win twice. And that helps you plan for the taxes at retirement. Go to a registered financial planner who has a tax professional on their team as well. Look for that, where they have that person in there to run the tax calculations and give you a head start of this is what you're looking at next year. This is what you had last year. Let's learn from that and see what we can do different. Plan for those taxes so they're not a surprise and just have a, a, a team that has that tax person there so they can actually run the numbers on the computer. And you know what that does? Makes no surprises at the end of the day. You actually have an idea of what you're going to pay and then you can plan for it and budget for it. And that makes a big difference in retirement. Uh, so key, and we've run through uh, five expenses you may not uh, know you could incur in retirement and uh, ways to avoid falling into those without any kind of financial backing. So uh, some some key advice, as usual, from Peter Sashecki is the president of Everything Financial. You can find him at everythingfinancial.com. This is the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast, and you mentioned uh, some of your some of the the holdings TFSA uh, for example, and we have some listener yeah. feedback, Peter, yeah. which we always enjoy. Uh, you can write to us and submit your questions at uh, your money at everythingfinancial.com. dot uh, com. Question here coming in: Do you have to take out your TFSA cash by certain age, even though it's called tax free? Are there tax implications on your state if you're not taking all of it out? Uh, before you well, pass away. not really in that sense. But one thing you do want to do is make sure you have a named beneficiary on it and it's not um, just left to your estate. This goes the same for RSPs or RIFs. Well, so a RIF is a registered retirement income fund. It's an RSP that changes to income when you retire. TFSA, even though the growth on a TFSA is tax-free, it's still considered a registered product. So having the beneficiary so that money doesn't have to pass through probate, that's kind of a, a key thing you should look for. So if you're married, make sure your spouse is named as the beneficiary. Talk to the, your planner and make sure they show you the beneficiary document. Make sure there's a beneficiary there or even your kids um, to make sure there's a beneficiary there. Just, just so the money doesn't get tied up in probate. There's, there's no tax on the TFSA. There is tax, well, not to your spouse, but if you're supposed to predecease you on the RIF or RSP, but easy thing, make sure there's a beneficiary on those two products for starters. Another uh, listener writes in and says, how long should you plan to tap into your retirement savings? 20, 30 years, uh, retire if you retire at 60, longer than that. Great question because um, I think some people, if you're set up, you just expect you're going to continue to be able to rely on that. But uh, what's your um, advice that way, long-term, well, Peter? registered financial planner doing a plan for you should put your age of living at to age 90. You just want to make sure not just your registered money, you don't run out of money. But here's the thing with an RSP once it's turned into a RIF. There's a minimum you have to take out every year. The government has a minimum for that. That minimum goes up every year. Eventually, and they've changed it this year with COVID, with changing what the minimum is because they reduced it by 25% and we'll see what happens in the future. But eventually that minimum amount 
will get to a point where you're definitely spending more than you're making on that riff. So when you're doing a retirement plan, you have to look at how much am I going to spend from TFSA? How much from non-registered money investments? How much from RSP? And it's a puzzle that should not be static. It should be looked at and changed every year, but sometimes it's going to be changed two to three times a year where suddenly it's like, oh, this investment in this product is making more money because that's where I have my more aggressive investments, say more equity than I have fixed income. So it'll make more, this will make less. So it's not that you're going to spend 5% from every investment across the board. One of them, you might be spending eight. One of them, you might be spending only two or three from. from. So it's it's not saying the RSP is going to last this long. In some cases, if you have a lot of tax deductions, like we talked about early in retirement, because you've set it up in such a way, you might want to use more of your RSP money earlier when you have more write-offs, hence you'll be paying back less tax. And you do not have to wait to start spending that RSP money. I get people all the time think, oh, well, I don't spend that till I'm 71, right? No, I have people who are 60 years old, they're retired. They start spending that RSP money because they're doing it in a way that they're paying almost nothing back to the tax man. Don't wait and let it get so big that that minimum payment will will be very punitive tax-wise when you just have to take out more than you want to take out. Take out what you need to take out and do it in the context of smart tax planning. Your money at everythingfinancial.com is the email address to uh, write in questions as some listeners have through the podcast. We're at uh, episode 10 today, focusing on retirement costs involved as well. He is Peter Sushaki, president of Everything Financial, where you have created the Omni Formula, Peter, and uh, that is your GPS uh, through your employed life and certainly uh, to a happy retirement. Um, how do you figure out how much you'll need, this, this listener asks, each month to live comfortably. Is there is there a secret formula to use? So, uh, <laughs> well, good question. Some there. people say, "Well, I'm only going to need 75 percent of what I was uh, needing before I retired." I haven't seen that from too many people. <laughs> Plan on spending what you spent before. So, there's where cash flow is important to figure out what you're spending. Just plan on spending it on different items, possibly. Um, less travel to work, things like that. Um, so look at what you spent before. Do a cash flow form, figure out all your bu- all your bills, and plan on spending roughly the same amount of money. But you'll spend it differently. But here's something to throw in. We talked about the five unexpected things. This isn't an unexpected thing, but it's a thing you should reward yourself with. Plan on spending a lot more money on travel between whenever you retirement, whenever you retire, whatever age that is. And let's say age 75, maybe 80, if there's good longevity in your family, because it will hit a point where it's just too tiresome and you're just, you know, you're a little older and and you may not want to travel as much. Plus, the health insurance might cost more than the airplane ticket to go somewhere at some point. So put in a budget to go, hey, I built my plan. So build a plan where you get it to the point of 100 percent. What I mean by that is it means all the money you have and the different sources of income will cover 100% of your bills. That would really mean the way we do it with our Omni formula is that you're only spending 
interest on your investments, not principal of your money like we talked about. Then throw in 15, 10, 25, whatever that budget is for travel and go, okay, I'm going to throw that travel budget in for 10 years. How's that going to affect my percentage? And the Omni formula will show you that where we go, okay, you're at 100% at 65. Can you can you retire at 64? Is the number still 100%? 63, 100%. Oh, 62, it went down to like 95. Okay. So we know you're at the 100% number somewhere in that 63 area, whatever the case may be. Now let's throw in some travel expenses for those 10 or 15 years. And you realize I might have to work a bit longer, but maybe don't wait till 65 or whenever you retire to travel. Start traveling earlier. We talk about with our Omni formula, the work optional lifestyle. That is the work optional lifestyle. Wouldn't you like to hike Machu Picchu while you don't need a walker to hike Machu Picchu? Just, just saying. Yeah, well, we did Machu Picchu a while ago. I mean, um, it's a hike, trust me. But work a little longer, but start enjoying that money when you're in your 40s, with your kids, when you can still enjoy it with your kids, or in your 50s when you're really, you know, prime living and peak money-making years and so on. Don't just wait to retirement. Start retiring earlier, but working a little longer if you catch my drift. I got you, and we have time for one more, and uh, this is my favorite of the listener questions that we have uh, feedback from. Is there an ideal age, or what is the ideal age, um, to start a retirement plan? And it might be younger than well, To many start the actual think. retirement plan, um, when you first start working and saving money. It doesn't necessarily have to start out as a retirement plan. It just has to start out as a financial plan. But things that you may not use along the way with that money for that you thought you might use that money for, well, then that money can be allocated towards retirement later on. The earlier you start, the less you have to put away. Don't fall into the one pitfall a lot of people do is I'm going to race to pay my house off first, and then I'm going to start saving for retirement. Okay, well, let's use that. <clears throat> let's use that example. Interest rates on housing are around two, two and a half percent. And a very conservative portfolio, as I was using the example earlier, is at 5%. Well, wait a minute. I'm making more money on the retirement money than my house is costing me. So why not do this? You still want to pay down your house, right? I get that. So why not put the money away for retirement? Maybe you make a little more than five because you're looking out longer term. Take the tax refunds on your RSP and start paying off your mortgage with the government refunds. Now you've killed two birds with one stone. You started early to save for retirement, but you're also paying attention to that debt. You're doing both. So a living plan of paying down debt can also be part of your retirement plan. You do both. And people can come see you for that Omni formula. They can see you for a second opinion on a retirement plan. And you're doing meetings virtually. I think that needs to be the big uh, advertisement right now at Everything Financial and EverythingFinancial.com. Peter, tell us a little bit more about how people um, can connect with you. EverythingFinancial.com. You'll see the contacts there for our three Canadian offices, which is the main office in Langley, British Columbia. Uh, another new office we've opened up recently in White Rock. And then we have an office run by Jackie Pillar in Victoria, in downtown Victoria, that looks after Vancouver Island for us. Go online there. One of our staff will get back to you right away. 
uh, book an appointment. And, and the first appointment is just that. It's an introduction to the Omni formula and see if what we do is what you're looking for. There's no obligation there. If, if we're not the right fit for you and we feel you don't need us yet or you know there's something else you need to look at, we'll tell you that. We lay it all out in that introduction to really give you a huge overview of the Omni formula and all the different things we'll address. <clears throat> what we really want to do is just find out if we can help you. If there's something there we can help you with and give you a picture, that's it. And um, people sometimes are overwhelmed because they don't want to know the answer of what their situation is. Knowing the answer and where you are, good, bad, or otherwise, is better than not knowing at all. Because you know what? 99 times out of 100, people come in and they go, oh, I'm way better off than I thought. And that gives you peace of mind. And that's, that's what we're there for, is to educate you and help you out. So give us a call or drop us a line by email. Yeah, which is great. Uh, that's what we hope uh, for everybody is that uh, ability to move from uh, employment years into retirement and do so uh, well. And Peter is the man to help you. Everythingfinancial.com, everything mortgages, everything financial as well. And uh, that does it for episode number 10 of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can find us on the Everything Financial YouTube channel and subscribe and like and review on your favorite podcast outlets as well. Next episode, number 11, we're talking about New Year's resolutions as it pertains to the financial scope. So we will uh, break down some of those New Year's resolutions with Peter on episode 11. Thanks for Thanks, listening John, to episode 10. People actually keep the resolutions as opposed to losing them within about a week. <laughs> <laughs>